0: howdy everybody and welcome to another bp movie journal the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these i'm david i'm tyler all right i almost threw myself off yeah uh because i was reminded of an inside joke i have with uh my um my wife with natalie last time we were in new orleans we did uh, like a the riverboat tour you go up and down mm-hmm. the, the 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 river there and you see you know you see the the city from the river, but then you see like, you know, what's down river. Um, and at one point you pass a domino sugar plant. Okay. That's down down the river from new Orleans. And you know, the, there's a guy, the guy over the PA, he's like giving you the history of everything you seen. It's very interesting stuff, but also at times it's just beautiful to look at. Maybe you're kind of zoning out. And so he goes, he's like, this is a domino sugar plant, domino, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then at the end he goes, domino sugar, how sweet it is. <laughs> And like now they were both like kind of had our, our minds had drifted and all of a sudden he's going, How and we're like, What's <laughs> up <laughs> what's going on? And so now we will sometimes say that to each other. So when I st- when I said howdy, I almost went howdy <laughs> Well that's uh you can do it if you want, you know. Uh it doesn't really work. But that's um Howdy yeah, doesn't yeah, it work, work now. Domino Sugar, how sweet it is! <laughs> I don't think he, they were a sponsor. I don't even know if that's their tagline or if this is just something he likes to do. I guess so.
1: Yeah, you know, when you do that kind of thing, you have to keep yourself uh, interested yeah throwing in that little bullshit here you know
0: it was interesting then because this was last october um we were taking uh this river road tour as a hurricane was a coming Mm. like i mean it was still more than 24 hours before landfall but you could see like the high rises on the central business district side of uh you know um uh i guess uh west of canal um I guess they're used to this sort of thing because the, the, the balconies have like metal shutters you can Mm -hmm. pull. And so we were driving past these very expensive, like hotel rooms and condos and stuff. And, uh, people had their shutters Hmm. that I didn't realize these buildings had, you know, they probably disappear into the the wall or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was fun. So, We'll get to the movies in a second. Okay. I've told you about Inside Jokes with Natalie, mm-hmm. but I have to give you and the listeners a bagel update. Yes, please do. Well, La- On last week's Movie Journal, I talked about the... Uh, for those who maybe didn't listen, quick uh, nutshelling is that every Friday we get free bagels in my department. A lot of people from other departments were coming unasked and taking tons of bagels and decimating our bagel supply, and so the bagels got moved into someone's office as opposed to from a common area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So last Friday was the first time this happened and uh, it, it seemed to work very well in terms of the stated goal, which mm-hmm. is that people in our department and the department, you know, that we do the most work with, uh, who are free, actually free, you know, invited to have our department's bagels, got all the, got the bagels. There were mm-hmm. plenty of bagels. Um, as far as there were little bits of drama, unfortunately, I'll say not directed at me, which is weird. Because I sit closest to where the bagels usually are. But the woman who sits next to me, everyone goes to her. And I don't know, part of it is that I think I generally have uh a... Demeanor of like, I don't like. Unapproachability? Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of my general public face, I yeah. guess. But I think also some of it might be a little sexist. Like, this woman, like, like she like she made the bagels. Or like she's the office manager or receptionist right. or something, which she's not. She has like a job title and she does work other than, ba- you know, bagel related stuff. So I, d- I did not yeah. feel bad about that, that most of the questions about bagels, in fact, all of them, no one asked me at all um, where the bagels were. But we did get someone who was like, um like joking about like who comes down all the time and takes bagels and and she was like oh what happened and so my co-worker told her and she was like oh well i'm glad it wasn't me who decimated the i, th- I said decimated again like, i think that because that's what this woman says said. Said, i'm glad it wasn't me who decimated them last week as if this was a reaction to one time yeah and then like in our heads we're like maybe not last week but you've done it many times and you are definitely part of the reason this thing, (laughs) but at least she talked. There was some other guy, there was another guy. Okay. I'm going to tell the whole story here. And this is, I can only tell this because I don't talk about where I work. And and this is, doesn't reflect poorly on my, you know, my business, you know, my, the company I work for at all. Yeah. But so one guy who was in the other, you know, I told this other department next to us who were more than welcome to our bagels. So he came over and he was uh, talking to us about it. And he was like, yeah, he was like recently, I went. Got, I got to the bagels at the exact same time as some other guys from some other floor. Some other guy from some other floor, and I picked up a bagel, and the guy was like, "I wanted that one." <laughs> we were like, "What?" Um, and so he told us that story. He went and sat down, and then like a little bit after that, this guy comes down the stairs and does. Laps around the floor, like so he walks. He clearly doesn't see the bagels. Doesn't say anything to anyone because he doesn't know anyone in our department. Yeah, he goes like around the by the bathrooms, by the elevators, and comes. Looks again. He does it like three times. Like he's just missed where they are. He doesn't want to ask, or he's yeah. like maybe they're late and they're showing up any second. Yeah, and he like, did three laps walking around, and then went back back upstairs. And so my the woman I said, sits next to me. And I like look over and the guy who had told the story was like, that was him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah, uh, it's yeah. Lots. Of, I, I, I'm not going to turn this segment of the, of the journal into work stories. Because I want nothing more. I know, but it's just, but the bagels thing is I just want, funny. I want work bagel stories and nothing <laughs> else. Hopefully now there won't be like, if this keeps up where they're, uh, you know, uh, in a safe space, mm-hmm. um, and and people aren't aren't scamming us uh, for bagels. Hopefully, there won't be any more stories. Let's hope. Yeah. Um, well, but I, mean, I guess I, it is nice to. Like, I'm so secretive about where I work on the podcast. I guess it is nice to have yeah. something that is completely not related to my work that I can tell a story. Not at all. Um, so yeah, if anything else like that happens. Uh, yeah, I can tell a story, but it is funny cause I know that you work at conglomerated bagels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's just get started okay. here. Um, let me pull up my letterboxd app. You can follow me on letterboxd and mm-hmm. David Bax. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. Uh, all right. Yeah. So this is going to be, I got four movies this week. I liked one oh. of them. Okay, So let's start with a movie I've been kind of looking forward to, even though I should have known better, uh, Nick Broomfield's Whitney, Can I Be Me? The documentary about Whitney Houston. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and I'm interested in, in the in the subject matter and maybe, you know, because uh, what was it? Two years ago, there was Amy about Amy Winehouse. Yes. Very similar type of incredibly talented uh, pop star who also had a very bad drug problem that mm-hmm. led to an early death. So maybe because I thought that was a good movie, I was like expecting something like that. But I should have known. Nick Broomfield makes basically at this point in his career, he makes two types of movies. He makes very good documentaries about serial killers. Okay, he made the two about Eileen Warnos, and then he made Tales yes. of the Tales of the Grim Sleeper. Okay, yes, or he makes really trashy movies about celebrities like Kurt and Courtney or Biggie and Tupac. This is more in that camp. Unfortunately, I I don't understand how a guy who because because when he you'd think a guy who is given to salaciousness, mm-hmm. you'd think that serial killer stories would be right in keeping with that. But yeah. when he makes movies about serial killers, he's so interested in the psychology and the sociology of these particular people and their particular the the, the populations in, that they made victims of and also where they came from. Mm-hmm. He, he, and I don't understand why he doesn't have that same interest his his celebrity stuff tends to be so servicey and basically he loves you know like he loves conspiracy theories especially with like Kurt and Courtney was like yeah. half that movie is about did Courtney Love have Kurt Cobain killed which is ridiculous yeah. you know uh, here he, he kind of avoids that a little bit but he still um, uh, you know he, he does I think gin up some of the drama around uh, i mean i think part, part of the idea when someone's a drug addict is it's not uh it's not romantic you yeah. know and he lets he has one of the worst interview subjects is whitney houston's former bar, former bodyguard i couldn't stand the guy yeah. partially because i think you're talking about kevin costner <laughs> that's talked about oh god that comes <laughs> up okay because <laughs> this guy says like Uh, he was like no one ever shot at me and we never slept together but we basically had the same relationship but it's like she's not here to say that and you, I don't know why I care but when a professional celebrity bodyguard or politician bodyguard or professional bodyguard then turns around and like spills secrets I feel like that's it seems unethical unethical to me or it seems like there should be like, if there's like a guild, <laughs> yeah. he should be censured at least yeah. uh, for this. And so I auto- automatically like distrust him as a seedy character yeah. because he's willing to, he like, I guess if you're like the head bodyguard for someone like Whitney Houston, a public figure, there's gotta be a level of trust there. And so to turn around after she died and talk about all her backstage shit, talk about how, how her best friend, and Bobby Brown hated each other and uh, like it seems like a betrayal of that trust I'm sure there's an element of
1: well she's gone so I'm not making any money off her anymore so how can I right. but how can I continue to make money <laughs> off of her because my guess is like by being in a movie like this like yeah, you're probably not going to get a whole lot more bodyguarding work <laughs> uh, at this point
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's, and he's, uh, I would say he's probably retirement age by now anyway. Um, But, um, yeah, I would say the most, uh, the closest thing he gets to salaciousness, although I actually think he handles it very well, is partially because there's so much evidence of it, is when he gets into the idea that Whitney Houston was probably bisexual, Hmm. and that. Uh, her her best friend Robin was probably who was her friend from teenage-dom, uh up until things got so bad that Robin stopped hanging out with Whitney Houston and Robin is Robin Crawford is her name is very notably not did not uh, give an interview for the movie which yeah. makes me think uh, that she knew what was up with Nick Broomfield but no. uh, anyway the, there's the very heavily. Uh, implied to the point of my being convinced, at least as a viewer, that they had a romantic relationship, and then, but it was also a friendship relationship at the same time. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was ever really codified. And then Whitney Houston got with Bobby, got together with Bobby Brown, and that caused, um, problems in a lot of ways. So I, I guess he avoided it there, but still, it just, the whole thing just seemed, uh, little superficial, yeah. which is what I should have expected from a Nick Broomfield documentary about celebrities. This is what he does. And they come out and I'm like, Ooh, I want to see that. Yeah. And like, Unless Whitney Houston killed a bunch of people. You're not going to get any respectful <laughs> tones there. Um, and then this one, I'm, uh, another, this uh, another one I'm bummed about. Uh, because so Raul Peck's last movie was the documentary. I am not your Negro. Okay. Um, and, now he's made a, um, uh, a a narrative, a biopic of Karl Marx. So, you know, me as a leftist, sure. I like I loved I loved I'm not your negro. It's so great. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, I <laughs> worship at the altar of Karl Marx, which right. is, would be a, that's not true. That would be a completely uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Worshipping someone like Karl Marx would be the wrong way. He would hate that. Maybe. <laughs> that's all that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Um anyway. So Raoul Peck made a movie called The Young Karl Marx, in which uh do you know the actor August Deal? He's a German actor, and here's what you know him from. Okay. He's the German soldier in Inglorious Bastards who notices Michael Fassbender's three fingers and gets into the fight in the in in the basement tavern. Yes. So he he plays Karl Marx. His wife is played by Vicky creeps of oh, okay. Phantom Thread. Um, and then I don't know the actor who plays. Um, uh, is it Angels. Uh, anyway, the other guy who wrote uh, these things with him. Um, the movie could almost be about the two of them. It's, it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it, um, but it's I guess first and foremost about Karl Marx. And I understand that Raul Peck really likes what Karl Marx has to say. I think he also maybe. Likes a little bit of, there's a little bit more hero worship there. But even then, if it were better hero worship, at least it would be, you know, more watchable on that level. Instead, it's just so dry. Hmm. It's just about Karl Marx, like, here's, uh, you know, he was living at at 1848, he was living here, and he wrote this, and now we're going to watch that happen, and then jump ahead six months, and now he's living here, and now he's writing this. And now, like, you know, there's a, like, the Based big, on like, a popular Wikipedia entry. <laughs> right. And it is like the, the big emotional, like triumphant climax is Mark's and angle, like procedurally through a vote, having the name of the league of the just changed to the communist league. Hmm. And it's, you'd think this was, this is Rudy getting on the field <laughs> compared to how dry the rest of this movie is. Um, it's yeah, it's just really, really dull. Uh, uh unfortunately, and uh, I can't really recommend it. Hmm. All right. So, this was a
1: rewatch uh, for the class that I uh, TA for. Uh, I rewatched for the first time in, in several years uh, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. I haven't seen it in a long time. Which is so marvelous. This is a film that I have grown to love over the years. I think I, I first saw it in. Um, high school and I don't think I had an appreciation for it. Then I saw it again a few years later and I liked it a little bit more, actually probably a lot more this time around. I love it. I think it's a marvelous film and it's, it's funny. And as always, it's fun to watch these movies with a theater full of 18 and 19 year olds because they have reactions that I don't think I would have, or maybe I Hmm. did have at the time. Yeah. Um, but uh and some and I, I recognize that the that the apartment is officially a comedy but i don't think i ever found it remarkably funny theater full of people laughing and suddenly it's like this is a lot funnier than i thought yeah that happens right um yeah and jack lemon is and i heard a lot of people in the audience uh females mostly like he would do something and they'd be like oh like because he just <laughs> He's so sad, (laughs) but because he's got that smile on his face, he just seems so, so sweet. But, uh, and, uh, they did not care for Fred McMurray. I'll say that. Sure. Um, and there was a, an audible reaction when he, uh, when Shirley MacLaine, like buys him a a record for Christmas and then he gives her a hundred dollars. Um, and so just all of this stuff is is great. It's a really well shot film and and wonderfully acted all around. Uh, but then today in class, the instructor who cites uh, who lists um, the apartment as his favorite film, he was talking about uh, the structure of the screenplay and how it could well be the best screenplay ever written mm-hmm. as, from a structural standpoint, from a payoff, from a setup and payoff standpoint. Um, and so he went through and like talked about the way things are introduced and the way they're paid off and, and how that happens and how relationships are opened and then closed often in a nice, uh, bookended kind of way. Um, but it never feels remarkably convenient or like, yeah, all right, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gave me an appreciation for because I, I I always enjoyed that script and I think it's very well written from a dialogue standpoint. But you know, structure is something that I've been thinking more about in the last couple years. And yeah, the apartment is structurally fascinating, which you wouldn't think of because it's not necessarily a plot heavy film. It's all relationships, um, and you don't. I tend not to think of relational character based movies as having particularly strong structure um as opposed to something like chinatown which while it has very strong characters there's so much story to get to but the apartment really does have uh just some really dynamite structure and doesn't sacrifice any character stuff any dialogue stuff or any humor um because another thing with movies that have great structure is sometimes they can feel a bit dry and a bit manufactured, and this does not feel like that. It feels very organic, and uh, and I just I enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't seen The Apartment, uh, seek it out. It's great stuff.
0: And these eighteen, nineteen-year-olds enjoyed it. They did very much so. Um, you know, I, I think about that now when well, a lot now when you talk about your your class. Now that you and I are like I was probably their age the first time I saw The sure. Apartment. Um, maybe a little younger, um, and now you and I are the old guys. Um, and the apartment's what? Nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty. So I wonder if, as each generation goes on, I wonder if it becomes less n- noteworthy to them that a character like Shirley McLean's character is portrayed so sympathetically. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Someone who, certainly by nineteen sixty standards, would have been seen as a you know a promiscuous. Woman, or sure. whatever you know, like I wonder. Uh, even to like you know, we're fifteen years, more than fifteen years, almost twenty years old. than these the yeah. people, but even to maybe people who were, you know, who were seeing it at the time, yeah. did it seem like was that. Was that a bigger deal at the time? Well, the whole film seemed very salacious. Um, It was. I was
1: reading up on it, and like this is the movie that made Fred McMurray never take another villainous role because people were coming up to him on the street, Uh like women specifically, and saying like "shame on you," like that was disgusting. He's like, "I'm just playing a part." Yeah, that's Um, that's funny. And and that's the thing is you know the idea of just. I mean, it's, it's obvious infidelity, like it's full on Mad Men stuff, uh-huh. which in 1960, you just up until that point, it had mostly been suggested. You know, you saw it a lot in film noir, but you didn't see it a lot in this type of thing. Certainly not in a comedy, certainly not in this winking kind of way. Um, and I think that her character was seen as more at the time as more of a victim which she she is now we would see her that way but we would also see her as somebody who is making her own she's still making her own choices Mm -hmm. whereas at the time it's like she's an innocent victim of just this predatory guy uh and that maybe she didn't doesn't have a whole lot of choice or she doesn't have a lot of agency um but now i think we we would look at her that way and i think sherry McLean delivers a very it's always interesting to watch films that are like right there on the cusp of uh, acting movements um, mm. because Fred McMurray, I think, is a great performance, uh, but it's a very specific type of performance that I think is rooted more in the old style of acting. Jack Lemmon, being a comedic actor primarily at the time, was kind of in the middle, and then Shirley MacLaine, I think, has a very modern sensibility as far as uh, how she portrays her characters, so much so that she liked to improvise, and Billy Wilder was like, we wrote this script very specifically. You will not be doing any improvising. Hmm. Um, but she just, she wanted to, like that was her instinct, um, which I think is kind of a more modern yeah. sensibility. And so, yeah, it's, it's a marvelous film. And Ray Walston is, is in it and he's uh, delightful. And uh, so, yeah, you should see it again. There's a, there's a moment you mentioned, I forget what movie you were talking about where someone like, Oh, she's, they reference Marilyn Monroe, and then she plays the character herself. Oh,
0: that's in um, the Seven Year Itch. Okay, in but this, then it's also in um, uh, what's the His Girl Friday? There's okay. the Ralph Bellamy. He looks right. like that, that fellow from the pictures, Ralph Bellamy.
1: <laughs> yeah, this one um, there's a character who. Uh, meets a woman in a bar and he's, he goes, he goes, Hey, I need to use your apartment. She's just like Marilyn Monroe. And then she turns around and it's not Marilyn Monroe, but it's this really ditzy, stupid <laughs> woman. And apparently Billy Wilder did not enjoy working with Marilyn oh. Monroe. And so, uh, more specifically dealing bad. with her demands. Right. Um, and yeah. so that's oh. what this was.
0: I, um, uh, went to a screening. Uh, this was you, uh, I know you were, uh, an intern with, uh, Stephen Farber. Yes, this was before before then, but it was one of one of those screenings that you used to mm-hmm. uh, help them put on of. Um, There's no business like show business. Sure. Which Marilyn Monroe was in. And um, who's is it? Mitzi Gaynor. Who's in that? I have no idea. Um, anyway, she did a Q&A before the movie, not after because she's fucking 95 years old. Yes. She was like, I'm not staying up till 930. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. this and then I'm going. So she did a Q&A before the movie and she talked about, she didn't necessarily say anything bad about Marilyn Monroe, but just the idea of Marilyn Monroe being this movie made everything more difficult. And then Ethel Merman, this was so much fun to hear Mitzi Mitzi Gainer say this. Ethel Merman would every morning go, where the fuck's the blonde? <laughs> <laughs> Cause she was always late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Did Mitzi s- doing Ethel Merman saying, fuck <laughs> to you know the audience that was a Stephen farber thing of yes that was, was a show business i yeah they are they were the all older tike. than <laughs> yeah um, um, so that was a got a big reaction it was very funny i have no doubt yes okay we can move on okay so um now next week you and i are going to do our um uh best of right mm-hmm. yeah um but we'll also be doing um other, you know, we, we, we throw in some honorable mentions, we do some overrated and some underrated okay. and, um, we will also be talking about not a whole list, but just one worst movie of the year. Okay. Oh, now I think I'm still gonna go with the one that I already have locked and loaded. Okay. But I'll tell you this week, that one got, had a run for its money oh, because I finally watched george clooney's suburbicon oh okay have you seen it no it uh, looked not great it's i i want to like go down like the list of the creative like you know the credits and individually ask them what were you thinking yeah
1: <laughs> and the I, one it, exception being the Cohen brothers who wrote this in the <laughs> 80s and then decided, decided not we're not <laughs> going to make this
0: yeah and i think uh, and I think the reason it, I'll give the edge to the other movie is I do think that Suburbicon's heart is in the right place. Okay. But this is this two Matt Damon movies in 2017 where where the heart is in the right place, but they are so misguided and tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And that's downsizing in, in this. Um, so, I mean... Uh, it, I think because I think what it's going for is actually I think if it had been if if you had told this kind of story correctly, it could have been really timely for 2017 because mm-hmm. um, I don't know what you know about the story, but there's like uh, racism is a huge undercurrent in the story. It's not part of the oh, plot. I didn't, I didn't know, but that. it's a, like the events kick off at the beginning when a black family moves into this you know, white suburban late 1959 community oh, yeah. or whatever. Um, uh, you know, the, the actual plot that unfolds, you know, has nothing specifically to do with that, but it's, it's, it's there the, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea that, that George Clooney and, 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 company are trying to get across here that I think is so relevant is to point out that the, 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 the election of, and the eight-year term of our first black president stirred up in some people the alt-right, Trump supporters, neo-Nazis—you know, whatever you want to call them—all yeah. you know, pretty much the, the same to me, I guess. It—it's—it stirred up some feelings that made clearly made these people protesting a black president look way worse and be way more of an embarrassment to our nation than whatever they are could accuse this black president of doing. Sure. I think, th- I, I mean, I, I think that's very much there. I think that is the point he's trying to make, but he does it in the, again, the most tone deaf way. First off, by making the three black characters in the movie, complete props they they have no the, the, the dad the dad I don't think he has any dialogue hmm. <laughs> like they have no agency of their own they are just there to have garbage thrown at them or or conversely to have the nice white family be nice to them and then they become victims like that's <laughs> the idea of telling 2017 telling a story about racism that's about how hard it is for white people to for the quote-unquote good white people to be nice to black people is so not taking the temperature of the time.
1: You know, one of the things that I do love about the film Get Out, uh, and from a political standpoint, and I remember that you said that, uh, I remember at the time you said, like, as a liberal, you felt like it was kind of indicting you, and you felt like... Which is what I wanted out of it. Yeah, it made you feel very uncomfortable, to which I said, like, oh, how difficult that must have been for you. (laughs) Um, But it's... This is a, a really great example. It's literally like George Clooney, noted liberal, who is, I would say, a bit pleased with himself from time to time. Um, he has these black characters, but when it comes right down to it, he doesn't care who they are, what they're dealing with. He right. just wants them there. And he, spoilers for Get Out, I guess, yeah. he just wants them to do exactly what he wants them to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, to the point of even taking away any kind of agency, any will of their own, any choice of their own. They are merely props. One could even say puppets for what he needs the what he needs to do, which is probably infinitely more about himself yeah. than than
0: them. Um And then, uh, even aside, the movie is bad, even aside from that, it's, uh, uh, mostly because it's, I mean, you can see the sort of early Cohen's fingerprint on it in that this is like a, you know, white collar crime story that has an increasingly preposterous body count. (laughs) Um, and some of the deaths get incredibly gruesome actually. Mm. Um, but the whole idea it's clearly meant to be a black comedy yeah i don't mean a comedy (laughs) right i mean a dark comedy there we go um except it's not funny at all Mm. i laughed once and and i think i i it's i'm giving most of this credit to matt damon's line reading although this is this is the kind of thing that cohen's would write where it's like on paper it's not funny it's just like an odd thing to say and he's having a conversation with julian Moore. he says have you ever been to aruba and she says no and he says it's a dutch protectorate (laughs) And I just laughed really hard. (laughs) It's a Dutch protectorate. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. uh, I think that was the one time in the entire movie that I actually laughed at anything. Wow. Um, How was Oscar Isaac? He looked pretty good in it. uh, He's uh, he's again. He's doing. uh, It does feel like a Cohen, like uh, a a bad echo of a Cohen movie. He's doing uh, a a John Plito character, but not a. He's a. He's a very, he's very slimy. is what I'm okay. saying. And so he's doing like the John Polito man who wasn't there type of character. Yeah. Um, uh, and but, he even has the John Polito mustache if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, That's true. That's true. Um, the kid in it who's actually, if you know, if there's a star, it's probably actually Matt, uh, not Matt Damon. It's Matt Damon, uh, and Julianne Moore's kid. Oh, it's a bit of a trivia. Julianne Moore, uh, wonderstruck and suburbicon two movies in which she plays two characters. I don't think I knew she, that she played two characters in Suburbicon. She plays um, Matt Damon's wife and her sister. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and then in, in Wonderstruck, she was the... Um, uh, she was two characters. She okay. was like the silent yeah. film star on the old one, and then she was the um, grown-up version of the young girl in the newer Got half. It. Anyway. Um, but the kid is... Um, did you see Wonder? The No, I didn't. I know there's in 2017, you have to like go yeah. through the Rolodex of wonder movies, yeah. which are you ones talking about Gal Gadot? <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's about wonder woman or professor Marston and the wonder Woman, or Wonderstruck, or wonder wheel. I'm talking about wonder. Got it. Um, anyway, the, not, not the main kid. The who's one changed. that simply said wonder and stopped. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the, the friend, uh, Jack will is okay. the, the character's name. And I, I just spent the whole movie going like, man, wonder is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I, I, I talked about this on, uh, on Twitter. Cause I was like, Cause I think I called wonder underrated and I, like our friend Aaron pointed out like this movie is racking up like box office yeah. and that's not really, I'm talking about it I, I've, and underrated isn't even like right the word because I think the reviews of wonder are good. It just yeah. seems like uh, our community, whatever that is, film, Twitter, yeah. critic community, whatever, like didn't talk about wonder as much as it deserved to be talked about. What would you consider a sleeper? It's a phrase I haven't heard very much. Yeah, but I feel
1: like I mean, you've heard like uh, the uh, the sleeper hit. Yeah, you know, a movie that does really well and probably was well reviewed, but just nobody talks about it. Like it's just not yeah. a well known film.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think like a movie. Um, and I think this is maybe what wonder was that like never wins a box office weekend that right. hangs in like as in the yeah. like two to four, like yeah. range for multiple weeks in a row. I think that would be considered that was kind the, of great as showman part. actually. Yeah. Like I don't oh, know it was yeah. ever number one, but yeah, it hung in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for all I know, wonder was top of the box office six weeks in a row. I don't, I'm too cool to pay attention to that. <laughs> ever since I started taking this, uh, feature film marketing
1: class which is infinitely uh fascinating uh i am maybe a bit too invested in box office because it's fascinating to me at this point
0: um okay so i think suburbicon was kind of the end of what the last few journals for me have been so much about like catching up on what i missed in 2017 okay and i'll still try to fill in some blanks um as as time goes on um I haven't seen ex libris because I don't have 16 hours to (laughs) anyway. um, So now I'm finally going back to watching some old movies and I watched the 1933 Michael Curtiz uh, movie, the kennel murder case. Have you seen it? I've not Tyler, You would dig it the most. I'm sure it is. um, So before William Powell was the thin man, Mm -hmm. he was this other character in multiple movies uh, named Philo Vance. um, Like that. uh, Written by, uh, and I can't remember his name. Uh, what is it? Sandine, something sand. I can't remember anyway. Uh, and so there's a bunch of movies that William, this is the last movie where William Powell, cause 1933, the next year he would become uh right. Nick, uh, Nick Charles. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this is the last William Powell, Philo Vance movie. It's all of 73 minutes long, which is great. Uh, but also it makes, man, does it make use of that 73 minutes in terms of plot? It's just a movie. Like I, like I started watching it and then like, I went to like say goodnight to Natalie. So I was like 12 minutes in and I was like, there's only an hour left in this movie. And they have set up like six different threads. Like I have no idea what the dog show has to do with the Chinese cook. Who's also like a, uh, Columbia university grad and a, and a, um, like a connoisseur of ancient porcelain or what has to do with these two brothers who are fighting or their the young woman who wants to get married to another guy, but her uncle doesn't approve. Uh, like, I was like, what does all this have to do with one another? Yeah. It does eventually all come together in a delightful way. It's the kind of, it's, I it's, do like that kind of thing. And it's when done wrong, it could be very boring, but um, you know, it's kind of what I talked about with like um, uh, Logan Lucky, which I like so much. It's movie you just set up all the stuff and, you know, spend the first half setting up all this stuff and spend the, spend the second half knocking it all down. But mm-hmm. with some twists in there where, like, there's at one point, uh, we're like 40 minutes into the movie. And it looks like, oh, Philo Vance has solved this murder that looks like a suicide. Everyone was convinced it was a suicide. He knew it wasn't. He solved it. And I was like, what are they going to do with the next 40 minutes? And then they find another body. Oh, <laughs> and right. they find more like they find that the. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but there's more than one fatal wound on the suicide guy, so m- maybe a murder on the Orange Express type of situation. Okay. So suddenly there's all these new things, and it's just it's just William Powell being cool uh, but sober, um, <laughs> uh, and this huge cast. Uh, Mary Astor plays the um, the woman whose uncle didn't want her to get married, uh, hmm. uh, and. Uh, yeah it's it's very cool it's on amazon prime because i think it's in the public domain so uh, nice. uh i think it's one of the, like this is what happens with prime with the public domain movies sometimes is there will be like three of them on amazon prime. so i hope i picked the way it didn't look great but it said it was digitally remastered it was and it was the most recent one yeah. on the brother like, like three i could have chosen that were all free to watch on amazon prime um Anyway, so The Kennel Murder Case, that's my last movie. You've got one more? Yeah. Um, incidentally, I remember uh, for a long time I
1: read um, those Rex Stout, Nero Wolf books, uh-huh. yeah. uh, which I, I enjoyed tremendously. I The uh, nature of those books is that I, I don't know how many I read. Uh-huh. I read a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Could have been uh, 10. Could have been 20. I don't know. They're all kind of the same. Um, but I remember each one had an introduction by like a, a famous crime writer who grew up on those books and uh this person said that uh when he was a kid he you know he liked mysteries and then he a friend had recommended like an, a near wolf book and he read it and then he went back to the library and he said to the librarian like do you have any more of these and the librarian's like yes dozens
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh so it just it's which is fascinating when you think about i know we're not talking about the thin man but the like there was only ever one thin man book and the thin man of the title did not reference, was not a reference to Nick Charles. Uh, but the movie was so popular that they, uh,
0: it turned into this other thing anyway. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, SS, sorry. SS van Dyne is the guy who wrote the Philo Vance, uh, novels. All right. Thank you. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm here's my intro to my next
1: movie. Uh, in the nineties there, you know, I liked to play, uh, computer games and that sort of thing. Uh, and I liked, you know, these adventure games where you had to solve puzzles, but they weren't even standard puzzles. It was more like, oh, you pick up this, you know, horseshoe and then hours into the game, you wind up using it for some other purpose, uh, not to shoe a horse or anything, usually to bludgeon somebody anyway. Um, so i liked those games and they were very plot heavy and it was a lot of fun but every once in a while you'd find yourself like one looks really good and and you and but it's like loosely based on like history and you're like oh that's neat a, you know fun location and you watch it uh, you, you start playing it and you realize like huh, getting a lot of information here oh shit it's educational <laughs> um and now some of them Fools were still again. yeah some of them were still pretty good um, you know with Gabriel Knight I learned a lot about New Orleans history and the history of voodoo uh, you know one and the same nothing wrong with that. exactly <laughs> uh, nothing wrong, not wrong with that but uh, that is that is how I felt the but not negatively uh-huh. that is how I felt when I was when I was watching last night I went to see the movie last night the movie last night starring. Rob Lowe? No, that was about last night. That was the making of. Um, Okay. Uh, Who's in last night? I have no idea. Claire Danes. I know the one you're talking about, but I can't remember. Um, So I saw Loving Vincent. Oh. Um, Have you seen it? Um, No. Okay. No. It is, in many ways... Great! I enjoyed watching it, and I learned a lot, David. <laughs> um, it's not actually a documentary, but it feels like one. If this, if it were done in just live action, which it was, it was shot live action, and then 100 painters went through and individually uh, hand painted the frames in a Van Gogh style. Right. Yes. And it is absolutely gorgeous I'm very happy I saw it on the big screen Um, but if this were just a live action thing it felt it would have felt very much like a history channel uh, film or one of these video games where um, Douglas Booth plays this this guy who shortly after Van Gogh's death goes to sort of investigate it and so he talks to this person that person and the acting is all pretty good Chris O'Dowd's in it Saoirse Ronan's in it various others No, I don't Um, think I knew that and and it does okay at at creating kind of a sense of of mystery. Um, I know very little about Van Gogh, and so I didn't know anything about his death or any kind of mystery surrounding his death and all that sort of thing. And so, but
0: you said, didn't you watch
1: Vincent and Theo? I did not. I oh. owned it. Yeah, I, I think I watched yeah. your
0: VHS copy back in college. But it
1: made me wish. It made me wish like ah, I wish I'd watched that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. So you learn a lot, but it's really just it's him going around talking to various people. And then you get... I don't know. It's, I, I wish I could say that it's like this transcendent thing. Uh, it's interesting and beautiful. I wish it were intriguing and beautiful, but it's not. Um, that said, I still enjoyed it a lot because what I'm learning is something that I like mm-hmm. and the and the visual style is so unique and I think it does because for a while I thought like why did they have to make this movie this way I'm sure they weren't saying like hey this is the only way to make this interesting I don't think they were saying that to themselves so I thought like okay so how am I how am I to take this artistic choice of theirs and one of the things that you'd come to discover is that every character in the film is someone that new vincent van gogh mm-hmm. was painted by vincent van gogh and you see those paintings at the end um and they're very prominent people in his life and so when you look at it you just sort of i, I started to pick up on this idea even though nobody really says it is that to know him was to start to to feel his influence on your life and and that he would just sort of infect the people around him, uh, and they just would feel inspired, uh, either creatively or otherwise. Uh, and then after a while, once you start to realize that everybody in it had been painted by him, you kind mm-hmm. of, it sounds, this sounds almost glib, but it's almost like, yeah, this is Van Gogh's world and we are all just living in it, you know, um, which I think is, is, Maybe how they felt, or like anytime you come in contact with someone that is famous or somebody mm-hmm. that's brilliant, it's not that it makes you feel bad about not being that thing, but you just feel like, wow, there is just something going on with this person that I do not know about, and I wish that I could. And you actually run across that a lot in the film, as, as characters who. So desperately wish they could have been that thing, even though he was, rem- he was a huge failure in his life yeah. financially. So there's a lot going on and a lot that I really liked, and it is visually gorgeous, and uh, it's a movie that I think I would highly recommend – Expect to learn a lot, but don't expect to be incredibly engaged from a story or character standpoint, almost purely visually. And some great music in there as well. I, I don't remember who d- was the composer. It's somebody notable. But uh, oh, but it's it it's, it's worth watching. I, I, I liked it, uh, I would say, okay. quite a bit.
0: Okay. I thought you were going to go. With, it seemed like you were, at first, not liking it. Uh, oh, Clint Mansell. The, yeah, the, that's the right. That's right, yeah. Um, and also, are, I said... Was Claire Danes in last night? No, Sarah Pauly was in last night. Close enough. <laughs>
1: Pretty close, right? <laughs> the Canadian Claire Danes.
0: <laughs> um, okay. Uh, now we're going to talk, uh, you know, spoilers for The Amazing Race in case yeah. you haven't watched it. Although, not really, because you and I both haven't watched last night's episode. Right. Because so last night was Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's what you. The reason you didn't watch, but my no, wife and Jen I was working, and I felt like going out, so I went and saw Loving Vincent. Oh right, uh, no, I was. Um, my wife and I uh, made dinner together, and then watched When Harry Met Sally, which is that'll be the Wayne's World this week, the movie that I mentioned that isn't. There you go. Uh, I hadn't seen When Harry Met Sally in forever. It's, yeah, it's been a long time. It is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so like heartfelt, um, and you could you could write like an uh, 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 an essay today on whether or not the movie actually believes that men and women can't be friends because that's the argument at the beginning. And given that they they end up together, you could say, well, the movie proved it, but also they work so well as friends, um, that you could see it both ways, but, um, very, very good movie. Very funny. It's, it was very sad to see, Um, Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher as a couple together you know that was those were sad moments Uh, it also had a huge laugh that I had forgotten about there's Mm -hmm. the whole story early I don't know if you remember the whole story she told her jealous ex-boyfriend because she had day of the week underwear Yes, and she was like he he became obsessed with the one day that, that I, that there was no Sunday that I never wore Sunday. He was con- convinced I left them at someone else's house and he didn't believe me when I told him the truth. And he's like, what's that? They don't make Sunday. Why not? Because of God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, what a great movie when Harry and Sally is. Um, although it's a blu-ray that I have. Okay. That doesn't, it's does what old DVDs used to do. Doesn't go to the menu. Oh, it just plays. It automatically. plays when you put it in. I, it must I be th- an old Blu-ray then. But I feel like Blu-rays. I feel like by the time they got to Blu-rays, we didn't do that anymore. I didn't realize there were
1: Blu-rays that like auto-played like that. I guess that's true. It's it's like they took an old DVD and said, "All right, just let's turn this ported it, it over to
0: the yeah." <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about the Amazing Race. Um, I've got a story, real quick. Is it about the Amazing Race? Sort of. Oh, okay. Um, tangentially, it's okay if it is or isn't actually. So, I care, to be clear
1: the the uh class so yesterday i was teaching my my sections for uh class and they had just uh gone through and and written these short papers based on one of two prompts and uh, so i was giving them kind of tips on like how to have uh, how to get a good grade on on your paper and one was you know be sure you read the prompt Because a lot of people... Because they're very specific, and a lot Uh of people decided to talk about stuff that wasn't included, which was interesting, but it's like, I can't... You know, that's... These are three-page papers, so if you spend half a page on something that you weren't supposed to, that's half a page that you're not talking about something you were. So uh, so I said, like, let me ask you this. Who here has watched The Amazing Race? And a couple people in the the first section raised their hands, and uh, so from there I said you know okay well what happens when you don't read the clue <laughs> and but what's funny is in the second section there was one guy who is he's like a he was like a child actor he's, mm-hmm. he's a young guy as you know he's there's seems kind of cool. If he's listening to this, like, Hey, you're, you strike me as cool, <laughs> but here's the thing. So I said, does anybody here watch the amazing Racing?" Re- uh, amazing racing goes? Yes. Like he was just like really excited as I get yeah. whenever somebody says, cause you don't run across a lot of people, under a certain age that watch <laughs> survivor of the amazing race or anything on cbs really and uh, so he clearly was very excited uh and so i was like all right kinship <laughs> you know there's a there's a small section of us, yeah. and it's always very exciting but yes did so.
0: you ever have one of those trick like quizzes that was supposed to teach you when you were when i was like oh my god cool supposed to teach you how to read you, the instructions yeah oh yes such horseshit mad That's about it to this day bothered me yeah it's not the way you take a test you don't read every question on the test right and then go back and start like maybe a recipe maybe in that maybe that a recipe is something that yeah. you read through before you used st- for people i don't know if people know but so it was this thing they would hang know, out and it would say like draw a triangle write this sentence do this do this and then the last thing on the on the page was don't do any of the above just write your name at the top of the page and turn it in yeah but that's not how you take a test you don't read and all like, of it you, it's and not then, yes yeah this and, and the teachers were like huh doesn't this teach you a lesson and to this day i'm like fucking don't no. trust anyone yes that's yeah. the lesson <laughs> yeah. you, you you guys <laughs> just find <laughs> you lazy ass teachers <laughs> just found a way to waste 40 minutes <laughs> to do anything well this will burn an afternoon <laughs> yeah um And, uh, so yeah, uh, your, your thing about reading the prompt and reading the clue makes, makes me think of that because that's not, I'm still mad about it. The thing is this, like
1: if this were, if it were a general, like 10 page paper in which you're just talking about this entire film, by all means include any number of things that that strike you as interesting because it'll be nice for me to read as well. Like, Hey, I didn't even think about that. Good for you. But in this, it's like, it's very specific. You are talking about mise-en-scene only. You are not talking about performance. You're not talking about story. You're only talking about mise-en-scene. you can talk about those only, those other things only insofar as they are impacted by mise-en-scene. So, you know, it's supposed to show that you know what this thing means and all of that. So, i don't i don't want to be that person not that i came up with the test in the first place but uh but yeah so i was able to use amazing race terminology uh to get these kids to i get, i haven't read the second test yet so uh-huh. i guess we'll see if they actually listened
0: uh all right let's talk about amazing race uh, right. for a little bit uh so yeah this week cemented something that so last week you said your favorite team was yale yeah. uh, evan and henry henry um and I said I was leaning that, but I still liked Team Big Brother, despite um, uh, something that he had said. But this week, I'm on your side now. Team L. No and, question. And because you can compare their reactions to similar things in, in this this last. Yeah. The Team L got U-turned. Mm-hmm. And then ended up at the mat at the end. You know, they made it. They were well safe at the mat with the team that you turned them. Yeah. And Phil did the thing that reality hosts have to do, which is try and like. Uh-huh. So how do, you, how do you feel about that? Yeah. And it's basically Team Indie was like, yeah, well you turned them because they're a threat, as evidenced yeah. by the fact that they're, they're right fucking standing right here. Yeah. And uh, Henry and Evan, like you could tell, maybe you know, there's some, you know, that'll maybe a little bitter, but they hear that and they go, yeah, yeah, and oh, they didn't u turn me, yes. And so I think this is—it's in we—it's weird in this season that is so based on competitive personalities that you'd kind of expect a lot of type A jack assholes, mm-hmm. and you have enough of the, a few of those here. Yeah. but I think throwing that throwing Henry and Evan in that kind of competitiveness uh, in is. Uh, I I think it really helps illustrate how the amazing race is not just a physical game, that it's a mental game that, that sometimes relies on not just intelligence, but Mm -hmm. also education. Yeah. And I think that being able to, to tamp down your self-centered initial gut reaction to something in favor of a logical response that's more true is, indicative of an educated person. Whereas the lady from big brother, I forget her name, Jessica, Jess, I think Jessica. Jessica? Okay. Yeah. And, and this is why I made sure to, to point out like educated. Cause I don't think she's dumb. I don't think she's not an intelligent yeah. person. That's part of the reason I've liked their team yeah. is that they clearly know their shit, you know, and, 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 and have intelligence. Yeah. Um, but she acted in a way that was clearly like from her gut and not, Yes, not reasonable at all here where where she was livid with Evan for not helping her when she had no reason to help her. Yeah. And we've seen cunning from Jessica before with absolutely with the Kafka, the Kafka uh, um, thing, uh, you know, where she intention they're like she was working together with two other people but she intentionally withheld information until yeah. she knew it was right so that even with helping them she could get it first and then turn to them and say here's the thing i knew that i didn't tell you
1: and Which, she she did it with uh she maybe did it with uh team ocean spray i like that they call them that now yes um oh with the gnome with the gnome like i don't know if she
0: meant to do it it's but hard, when she realized she'd done it she stuck with it no and question the thing is i'm not bothered by any of that behavior that's yeah. gameplay that's not underhanded. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, good on you, but you can't be like that, be ruthless and cunning. And then when someone doesn't stop to help you for no reason whatsoever, yeah, get all offended by it. Yeah. I was really, really upset with team big brother this week. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's uh, yeah, her especially. It's it's this idea. I remember, in of all things, this is what it reminded me of. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis happened to say that, like, you know, if I am on a train and I step away from my seat, it's not like a you know I don't have a ticket for that seat. You sit wherever you want. And I step away from my seat to go do something exactly. And I come back, and someone has taken my seat, like. Yes, my first instinct is to get angry at this person as though they meant to do it to me right uh, do this to me on purpose. then you realize like well that's that's ridiculous, so what he's talking about is you have your instinct and uh-huh. then your
0: intellect takes over, yeah, not to imply that you're dumb otherwise, but you're like. You allow, yeah, I want to make it clear that I'm not calling yeah. Team Big Brother dumb. Yeah, but they like, did not think this out. They, yeah, I'm sorry that this
1: inconvenienced you. And someone did do it on purpose, no question about it. But you have also done stuff on purpose. And this is the name. It's is a not, game. It's, it's a competition. A game, and it's a race. Yeah. like, And it's late in the race. Like yeah. You need to be able to do this and
0: recognize it's going to happen to you as well. And by the way, getting later in the race all the time because they keep doing two episodes I know which they did again last night. Part of the reason we didn't watch it yeah. <laughs> is because we'd already watched one Harry Menselli. Um, so anyway, that was, uh, I feel like I've dominated the conversation for, so far because I, that was the main thing I really wanted to talk about. That was a big thing for me as well. Um, but you would say off Mike, you said there was something else you wanted to talk about, which is the big, uh, the first, twist. the first half was the
1: partner swap. Yeah. And of course we, everyone had to have known like, well, no one's getting eliminated here. Cause how the hell do you even do that? Right. Um, yeah, but here's what I liked about it. Or here's, Did you know that? I, I assumed it. Because I assumed that it, it it couldn't be
0: elimination. It couldn't be. But once it got, I don't know. I feel like the the show once once they once they once Phil revealed how they were checking people in. Not until both members of the sure original team checked in. I was like, okay, they they could do it here. They could eliminate someone here. They could. I just I don't know. It feels like it would have
1: been it would have angered I think the viewers to see a team go out that way. I don't know.
0: I guess, but I mean, do you think the head-to-head angers people? I haven't, I don't read like message boards anymore. I don't know how Uh, the uh, average Amazing Race fan feels. I like the head-to-head. I think I do too. Um,
1: at least that one, it's like, that is the race in microcosm. That's, Mm -hmm. teams are still going against other teams. It's just now, it's like make or break in this very small thing. This is like, well, this isn't my partner. Like, we're not even together now. Yeah. And so like, a, being with a weak team member can that isn't that you're not even with that can be a problem but here's what i do like about it is that why did yale do so well because the twins helped them why did the twins help them cuz they were paired with them uh-huh. you know like it it adds oh, right, so, yeah. it adds this other social element if you're going to run if you run an entire leg with this other person it's going to be a little bit harder to either stab them in the back or it's going to make it hard to not assist them when you are, when you become, it's not merely like, Hey, we're, our team is working with this other team. It's literally like, I have to work with this other person because maybe it is elimination. Who knows? And like that, even one leg can bond you in that way. And I think Yale, I think still probably would have been fine because I think the twins were not going to do great in the dancing thing. Yeah. But, uh, the dancing and singing thing. But who knows? Like if the brothers hadn't helped them, you never know exactly what would happen. And so I think that it adds a a social component. Um, I don't think it's something that should happen every time, but uh, I liked what it contributed to
0: this. Uh, The other thing, and this is the last thing I have to say, I think, unless I think of a million other things, but uh, the the one I I can't remember. I think I I said this two weeks ago when we talked about um, two j- journals ago the last time we talked about the, the Amazing Race we talked about the, the proposal in an Ocean Spray I think yes and I, I think what I said is like at the beginning of the season uh, and when, when we found out, Oh, he's going to propose, I was like excited for it. And by the time it happened, I was like, no, cause yeah. I, I don't think it's a hell, It doesn't seem like I, I, you can't judge based on we're seeing, you know, people in heavily edited 44 yeah. minutes, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a healthy relationship and case in point when they were switched and she was with the taller indie guy, Mm -hmm. I feel like he treated her more as more of a teammate than her fiance has treated her as. And she's always second guessing her or always ignoring her or insisting that would he that he's that he's right, Uh, especially when they're doing poorly. He retreats into more babyish behavior. Yeah. And here, and it could have been because she's a skilled rower, and so it just, you know, it just worked out. But no. I felt like they worked together better than she does with her fiancé. And she even says something. Like, she even says, like, oh, what's his right. name? Uh, Lucas?
1: I know Cooper is the shorter indie guy, right? No, I mean I mean uh, the guy in Team Ocean Spray. Oh, that's, I don't know. Ugh. Bill. Let's say his name is Bill. Um, there's a moment where she's like, Oh, yeah. Like right now, Bill would have said this. And it's (laughs) and it's something very negative. Um, And of course, you know, listeners who are caught completely caught up on Amazing Race, like, you know, every episode changes everything else. And so, you know, last week when we were talking about liking Team Big Brother, people would have been like,
0: well, they're not going to like what uh, they see. Right. You know, this week. So, yeah, we're always a week behind because we just can't. Yeah. Wednesday nights are tough they are yes I they mean, are last, if last night wasn't Valentine's Day it would have been the rare Wednesday night I didn't have like a screening to go to or anything Yeah, but because it was Valentine's so there's always something going on on Wednesday nights that I can't
1: yeah, and watch especially when, when it's two hours Wednesday is uh, one of my later nights at school and then it's an hour to get here and so I right. can't always make it so yeah it's, uh, it's unfortunate hopefully next week we'll be back on track but uh, I don't know do listeners enjoy us talking about Amazing
0: Races in I think depth as at we this do? point we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Okay. I think at this point, listeners who listen to Amazing Race enjoy it or watch Amazing Race enjoy it, everyone else doesn't listen to this part of the show. That's true, yes. And I think we've intentionally designed it that way where even when we have multiple TV things to talk about, Amazing Race is always last. We turn into an Amazing Race podcast. We need to start like hiding like little Easter
1: eggs (laughs) in this that just reward people for watching Amazing Race. I'll think of of something.
0: Do you... uh, do you play HQ? The, uh... No, I have no idea what that is. First off, let me tell you, Tyler. Okay. <laughs> that My, like, greatest fear, more than, like, death or anything, is being out of touch. Yes, I know. And so, you, like, last week or two weeks ago, not knowing who Chance the Rapper is, you, this time you don't know what HQ is, you are living my nightmare. <laughs> but it doesn't bother you, so that's fine. Well, um, I mean, you know, it's, uh...
1: Like, when I talk to these uh, kids and I say, like, hey, who has seen this movie or that movie? Uh-huh. And, you know, it's not movies that, like, I grew up with, which is like, okay, well, I can't assume that. But, you know, I asked yesterday, like, who's seen The Dark Knight? And, like, four kids raised their hands. And, well, that's that, interesting. Isn't that
0: surprising? Because, wouldn't they? I mean, they would have been like 10, or I guess they would, maybe they would have been too young. They would have been probably, I'd say, 9, 10, or 11. Which seems like that'd
1: be yeah, perfect age for that. That's perfect age. But I guess for whatever reason, maybe they just weren't interested. And so interesting. But like, so then there have been other instances where I say like, hey, have you who has seen alien who's seen this or that? And it's always a few, but not very many. And it's usually fewer than I expect. And my reaction is usually, well, they're dumb. (laughs) you know it's not that i'm out of touch like undoubtedly they're watching stuff that i don't know about but i'm older and i know more and they're dumb
0: um yeah i think i have the uh, if any students are listening i'm being facetious yeah i think i have the american cultural problem of overvaluing youth Mm. yeah anyway um Anyway, HQ, I, this is, we've gone way out of, now, now what I was going to say isn't even relevant. That's okay. But you were talking about sneaking references in. Mm-hmm. HQ is a, is, is the, uh, the the trivia app for iPhone and Android that is uh, sweeping the nation. In which oh, it's yes. actual bro- live My game. brother-in-law email, uh, texted okay. to us. And, and so one and of yes. the uh, the main, I guess, I guess the guy who hosts most often, Scott, is like I am, and like you are to some extent, or used to be a big fan of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling. Mm-hmm. And so apparently, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so apparently that guy drops a lot of best show references uh, into this. Uh, and, and at this point he's, you know, hosting to, uh, you know, one and a half million people every, every time. Wow. Um, I've never, I've like over Natalie's shoulder helped her, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tried to help her, you know, if I, if I know an answer, but I don't, I haven't, I don't actually have the app or I haven't played it myself. Yeah. But uh, anyway, when he described it, it sounded so exhausting
1: and, stressful to me that I was like yeah no way
0: it's just trivia but yeah it is what isn't yeah i mean in terms of the amount of time you have to answer it is shorter than anything ever because they can't have people googling so yeah yeah it's, so it's you have 10 seconds but it's 10 seconds from when he starts reading the question yes so you kind of have to like block him out read it and come up with your answer yeah because if you're doing alex you know if you're doing jeopardy rules and waiting for him to finish the question you've got two and a half seconds left at <laughs> yeah. that point anyway